Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I am a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you are once again joining me on AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. A podcast brought to you surrounding the conversations of art, creativity, and community in partnership with Apartment Party. Welcome to our season one finale. If you're joining us for the first time, please also check out episode one featuring Anya Kapishki, episode two featuring Carrie Blue, episode three featuring the band Rosemont Post, and episode four featuring Alex Remnick. And if you've already tuned in, welcome back. We are so grateful for your support and listening ears throughout our first season. Corey Germain is a portrait photographer whose start began more in the ad world, which lit a creative spark and brought him to first shoot the street styles of Soho. Though now his creative home has landed in Bushwick, where you can catch him most days of the week walking around with a camera, shooting what I can only imagine will become iconic Bushwick photos of the 2020s. Corey's eye for style and ability to garner trust and vulnerability in his subjects is a huge key to his success. He has done several in-studio series as well, one culminating in his scene, the Bushwick Studio Session, which dropped last year on a limited run. Corey's vision for community has always really aligned with AP Studio Files, and I'm super grateful to speak with him today. Awesome. So welcome, Corey Germain. So I just wanted to give you a second after my intro to uh, introduce yourselves a little bit to our audience in your own words. Yeah, so I'm Corey Germain. I'm a photographer. I mostly shoot portraits in Bushwick. I used to shoot portraits in Manhattan, but I felt like Bushwick is uh, the place where I enjoy taking photos the most. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. That's awesome. So just so everyone knows, Corey and I started meeting a little bit as like creative confidants over last fall, which was really nice because we checked in weekly and kind of had this like routine that was really nice to i don't know just keep connection and kind of keep that steady heartbeat of like our, our intention yeah it was like a nice accountability partner i would exactly. say but exactly like oh i want to do this okay have you been doing this and yeah that helps right lot. right kind of just to have an outside perspective of like your own progress because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you work on things so independently, it's hard to sort of take those moments like, oh, shit, I did do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely helpful. And for the most part, sometimes I push things forward, but then I also fall off the wagon and I forget about stuff or time goes by. So someone coming in, you you know, you have to prep, uh, right. to, you know, for them because you don't want to let the other person down. So that really helps. Yeah, it was nice because it wasn't like we were in each other's business, but like we kind of knew about it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was nice. So we talked a lot during that process about our intent through our creativity. Can you speak a little bit to the intent of your work currently? Yeah, I think right now I'm just I'm just really just having fun. I would say over the when I first moved here, I was trying to figure out how much I actually loved photography. I was working with an agency in Manhattan, so I was doing photography there. So I felt like the weekends became like my own creative outlet where I didn't have to do work for someone else. And then I would say probably over the last two to three years, I really started to hone in on the photos that I like to take versus the stuff that I thought I had to take or or make to like get notoriety or for people like to actually like it. So I just, I think with quarantine, it happened, obviously you couldn't, or COVID, you couldn't go anywhere. So it just forced me to do a lot more research and like find other photographers that I had never come across before. Cause I was just seeing like the same work over and over and, and thought that I had to do that. 
And you said kind of a little bit like the photos that you thought you had to take. Could you expand upon that a little bit? Like what was you were being pressured or felt that you needed to take a certain kind of photo? Well, yeah, I guess I guess it's just my understanding of photography was was just small. It's just in a sense of like I knew I loved clothes and and fashion and all that stuff. Mm. Therefore, my only references were coming from like fashion magazines. So you're just looking at those images over and over. So you're like, if I want to like be in the photography world, I have to take fashion images because that's that's what sells. That's what people care about. And then I just started meeting other photographers who didn't care about fashion and they had some other photographers that they liked and I just started researching those people and then I said oh it's like my world opened up like you don't have to take that type of photo to even be in that space I mean you can make your own photo and usually they like that and then they reach out to you for that and then you end up still working with those places right and I think you sometimes especially with photography you can get kind of trapped in like that sort of capitalist mindset of it for sure like with the fashion industry and everything so your intent has it sounds like sort of broken down a little bit in in a good way I mean like a breakdown of your inspiration perhaps yeah I mean I think I was I knew I was just inspired by people like and how they dress what was nice is I started to like leave this space of like I have to capture people that know fashion or are very on trend and I started to be like I find this person to be interesting I'm going to take a photo of them just based on like again like discovering these other photographers who did these projects and they and it wasn't around this idea of like I'm doing this for the fashion industry or I'm doing this for a particular newspaper they're just doing it for themselves right so I just figured I would just take the photos that I felt spoke to me and the people that I find to be interesting and if it resonates it resonates and if it doesn't like that sucks but I feel like it resonates I definitely think it does I mean obviously you have a couple of different projects or focuses that we can get into but I think your streetwear and just Bushwick life kind of photos are really like a way that you're branding yourself without being brandy if that makes sense yeah I mean I had it's funny I had this like talk with this photo agent a few months ago and they just spoke about like oh like I really like that your work is just like hyper specific Mm-hmm. Um, being that yeah, with with the photography, you can take so many different photos. I could take a photo of like anything walking down the street, right. you know, a car, or whatever. But that's like not my interest. It's it's mainly people, and it's I guess it's just like self expression. Um, if I, if I find their self expression and be like interesting, I want to take a photo of it. Um, and then I start also coming across more photographers that just document. So they're not coming up with like concepts. They're just documenting their life and like what they're seeing, and they find it to be like noteworthy and then all of a sudden a museum finds it to be noteworthy and then other people find it to be noteworthy and then they have books and they sell <laughs> and then like that's usually how it goes but I feel like it has to start with you and it sounds it sounds like it's almost been a little bit therapeutic as well yeah yeah because you take this weird pressure off yourself that I guess didn't need to be there and you just start to find stuff that like speaks to you in a genuine manner mm-hmm. and then if other people again I guess if they fuck with it they fuck with it but <laughs> they don't at least you know like this is honest to me Definitely, definitely. So it was pure, I guess. You seem to really be able to capture, and I, I know I've said this to you before, but a vulnerability with your subjects that I really enjoy and I think has weirdly become part of your brand. Can you speak a little bit to your process and how that has evolved? Yeah, it definitely started just in Soho. So I used to live in New Jersey and I would drive over on the weekends because I would work in the city during the week but I was just like oh there's like so many interesting people because like when you're when you're somewhere else 
New York always seems so magical. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would come to Soho on the weekends because I thought that was the only place also that fashion was. I was like, Soho, like that's where the, everyone goes Sounds to right. shop. Yeah, so. <laughs> In New York City's early years, Soho was primarily farms and wetland. Collect Pond ran from present day Canal Street to the Hudson River. With industrialization and population increase, the pond was polluted and developers paved over it in 1813 to make space for more middle-class housing and the eventual opening of retailers such as Tiffany & Co, originally Tiffany Young & Ellis, and Lord & Taylor, which started in two bridges on Catherine Street in 1826 and became one of New York City's first major department stores in Soho. By the mid-19th century, this increased tourism and jump started the entertainment industry, theater, and red light districts in the area, pushing out the middle class and making space for manufacturers and textile companies to build warehouses. With increased need during World War II, production was moved to Brooklyn and New Jersey, where there was more available space, leaving abandoned warehouses available for artists and designers to reclaim in the 1960s. It became known for its fashion, but with increased rents, tourism, and international brands, there was no longer much room for artists. Bushwick was a bucolic 17th century town that grew into a robust 20th century working class neighborhood. Dutch, Swedish, and Norwegian settlers first colonized the area around 1640, and by 1660 had formed Bushwick, which means town of woods. By the 1830s, it had been urbanized. The Brooklyn waterfront became a bustling zone of shipyards, warehouses, distilleries, sugar refineries, and manufacturing plants, all attracting German and later Italian immigrant workers. Bushwick was built up with densely packed two- and three-family homes, retail strips, warehouses and factories, and some mansions. In the mid-1960s, Bushwick began its decline with real estate agents and speculators using scare tactics and a practice called blockbusting to scare white residents into selling their homes at low prices in order to resell those homes at inflated prices to impoverished black Southerners and Puerto Ricans, many of whom defaulted and had to abandon their homes. By 1972, in one city estimate, some 500 Bushwick buildings stood empty because of the bad loans and the depressed housing prices those loans led to. In the next decades, it fell further into decline with the crack epidemic and neglect from city authorities. In the 1990s, prices across the city increased and with nearby neighborhoods being revived, artists, writers, and students started moving to Bushwick. Some misled by realtors to believe that they were in the already gentrifying nearby Williamsburg, attracted by the large loft spaces and abandoned warehouses that ringed the area, now there are big investors and new entrepreneurs reshaping Bushwick and making it quote-unquote trendy. These two neighborhoods seem to have taken similar trajectories of industrialization, decay, and revival, giving them the edgy, trendy, once dangerous, now cool New York City feel. They have large spaces with repurposed warehouses that allowed for artists and creators to thrive before becoming too expensive for those creatives to stay. Bushwick hasn't still hit the levels of tourism that Soho suffers from and still maintains more of a neighborhood vibe. I would go there and I would just like go through the streets and just like stop people and ask to photograph them. And I remember at the time, I think I had just got my Instagram. So it was like, maybe I had like a hundred people follow me. Mm -hmm. So it was super awkward to go up to someone and be like, yo, let me take your photo and follow me. And you're like, oh, I'm 101. Like, that's just, that's really weird. But then after a while, I continued to do it, started to get more confident. And then by the time I got to Bushwick, I kind of had my spiel down of like how I want to approach a person and then just get them to be a bit more, a bit more comfortable. 
So out of this sort of streetwear inspired look, I know you've done some studio sessions. You dropped a zine last year. Could you speak a little bit towards the inspiration behind those works? Yeah, so that goes back to like going to like McNally and looking at photo books there and finding it to be uh, maybe like almost like therapeutic when I would just start to see people's work where the picture was accompanied by some words and like a, a story and you mm. can like actually feel this person. You feel like you know them based off of like what you're reading. Sarah McNally opened the store in 2004 as a branch of McNally Robinson, a Canadian bookstore chain founded by her parents. In August 2008, she and her partner split the New York store from the parent chain and renamed it McNally Jackson Books. It specializes in new, used, and rare books. Ryan Cook says the photography section could be a store in itself. It's very detailed, hidden away. The photography books can be behemoths. Even books wrapped in plastic can be opened and looked through. People should feel free to open and peruse any book in the store. So with the studio sessions, the same thing. I would like photograph people on the street. I would follow them for a little bit, get an understanding of like, do I think this person, I can like, I don't know, jam out with this person for a little bit and take right. their photo. Then I reach out to them. Some people would say yes. Some people would say no. But I ended up just taking a lot of images for it and then eventually narrowing it down. But it was really cool to, to photograph a lot of people. And then even through that, find out what I found to be interesting. Because you photograph 100 people and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go with like 10. And it's like, why? Versus what? all these other people that right. I photograph. And then whose story was like more compelling and what are my redundancies in my own images and the people that I capture. So it sounds like it really comes back to, again, connecting with people and connecting with a story for you. That's really interesting because I, I look at your art and I see that a lot of the times, you know. I know that throughout <laughs> throughout the whole fall and winter when we've kind of been like in these chats, we've come back to a lot of that kind of like, I hate this term, but like the rise and grind kind of stuff. Could you speak a little bit to, you know, moving into and out of creativity and the corporate field a little bit? Because you have you have a big kid job now. I guess coming from coming from college, I knew that I wanted to like make money. Like that was obviously something that I felt that was important. Student loans. Also, just the people I went to school with, a lot of them were in finance. So they came right out the gate telling me how much they were making. And I was like, oh. Oh, so shit. you can make so you can make money in the corporate <laughs> world and they can support themselves and they can move around and they can do things. So I found that to be appealing. And then I guess when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I knew I had a degree, so I knew I could possibly get a job. But I knew that I also was interested in like art and fashion and stuff like that. But then I didn't know anyone around me who was making money off of it. Right. So everyone either a hobby or they were like barely getting by. So I said, oh, OK, if I go into the corporate world and I could find an angle almost or something mm -hmm. that I'm good at, I can like support this like practice that I want to develop. So I think that's just always been an approach. Like, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy parts of corporate America. It's, it's also taught me accountability. It's taught, it's talked taught, a lot about <laughs> it's taught me like follow up. Yeah. I mean like actually bring into fruition, like the ideas that you have because exactly. you can't keep on going into a job and just, just going there and like nothing happens. Like you have to push projects along. So being in corporate kind of taught me that like, yeah, you can have an idea because 
people, you know, at these jobs have ideas all the time, but then eventually your boss or whomever is like, all right, we need to release this product. Here's a timeline. You know, you know, what are you doing? Are you, you know, here's a deadline. You're dropping the ball, all that stuff. So I think that just goes back to uh, my own work. If I, I put like that pressure, I guess, on myself. I think that's excellent. I, th- I think the the follow through and accountability, like I said, we, that was something that we began to discuss. And I think even just in our meetings, like really helped me. I don't know about you, but I, like I was saying earlier, just having someone to say, hey, yo, you had that idea last week. Like, mm-hmm. let's continue to discuss that. Coming back to the zine a little bit with that project specifically, when you began to shoot that project, was there an intent to have a product eventually or was it more about learning how to tell another person's story yeah I think I knew going into it that I wanted to have a final product I think just in the sense of for me it's and maybe other people do but I think it's to a certain extent weird to like take so many photographs and then do nothing with them right um so I think for me it was like this weird pressure of like I'm shooting these people. I'm asking them to send me questions. I'm doing all this work. And then if nothing was to come of it, I don't know. It just feels like, yo, the, the, like I just wasted these people's time. Mm. Even though like I was learning something in it, for, for nothing to come from it is to me is just like hella weird. Versus even if I didn't include, I mean, there's a number of people I obviously didn't include, right. but they still got to see like, oh, and they and they still purchased it. It was like, yo, this is really cool that you did this, like even though they weren't a part of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like it while I was doing it, I was just like, yeah, you have to do something with these photos. Even if, even if it comes out to me to a place where I didn't like it, or right. I look back on the photos and be like, Oh, these weren't, this was my best work. It was just like, if I don't put it out, then I'll keep on talking about it. And yeah, it gets, I don't know. It gets weird to be like, Hey, I want to shoot you. And then it's like, what's going to happen? Oh, nothing. I'm just going to like keep these photos. Um, <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, nothing. They're just in a, a bank vault somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They never see the light of day, but it was great shooting with you. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we were, was... um, Alex, who was my, uh, episode four guests, they were talking about being less precious with their art mm-hmm. and releasing it and showing it. And I, I feel like I see that a lot in your daily practice of, of shooting on the street and posting. And, and it's kind of nice to be like, okay, this is the work that I'm a little less precious about. This is the work that I'm going to like maybe have a little bit more intent about and kind of having those different forms of, of art, I think can be really beneficial to the art as a whole. Yeah, that actually, I mean, and that really just came from a homie, like one of my friends and uh, who's a close friend of mine, He's a photographer too. He lives in Pittsburgh. He was just always when I would hold on to stuff or I would show him. He's just like share it with the world, bro. Like why are you why are you just like sending it to me? Because it was just like I don't. He's like it's dope. I think it's cool. Like let other people see it. Yeah. Um. And then you have someone in your ear just constantly buzzing um, and telling you to do that. Eventually you're just like oh shit. Like yeah, why not? Because like if again if people don't drive with it, you're just like damn okay. Like I, it's almost like I'll get curious to be like, I wonder why, like, am I not presenting it in the right context? Mm. Like, am I just not that good? Is there, yeah. I mean, it goes probably back to like insecurity, but then that kind of keeps me hungry. Cause I'm like, y'all going to feel it eventually. Um, so that's how I go about it. Yeah. I definitely think because so we first shot together probably 2018, I want to say. Yeah, like a yeah, twenty like winter twenty eighteen, and then I guess a couple times like twenty nineteen, and then uh, we shot together again last year, which was amazing. And I, you shot my professional headshot as well, and I've always felt very like. I can tell you, like, I want to be a boss bitch. Like, I want to feel fucking sexy. I want to feel like, (laughs) you know, and you'll like roll with that and like rock it. And I think that that's really important to kind of have that lens of 
knowing the person. But I think you capture that in people you don't even know that well. Yeah, I guess it's just maybe it's it goes back to like perhaps me being vulnerable because like I am out on the street. I'm just right. approaching people who I don't know. It's really easy for people to be like, who are you? Like, get away from me. Like, no, I don't want you to take my photo. So, yeah, I am being pretty vulnerable and like opening up. So I think at times that helps the other person like open mm-hmm. up. But that then, you know, at times people just like, no, I don't know you like bye. Um, <laughs> but it's nice when people are receptive or stop at least. Um, and then hear my like pitch and they're like, all right, cool. I'll go along with this. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of, I don't know, I, w- I don't want to say like successes, but in terms of things that excite you, what are some of the things that you have accomplished and hope to accomplish that y- excite you? I think it's just finalizing the the ideas that I have. So just like putting a timeline to them and actually like just pushing them out. Yeah. So this other thing that I shot over last year, it was in a studio uh, over by the Morgan stop. Like, I just want to push that out and fall and then oh. work on a show and, and do that stuff. Just like finalize my own ideas and then see what happens from there. Cause I feel like all the other stuff is just a result of that. Cause I, I obviously I want to have uh, my stuff featured in, you know, everywhere, but yeah, yeah, that takes time. No, for sure. I mean, that's what you want. So can people expect this next project to be in a zine form? Uh, Yeah, probably a zine. I would want to do a show around it just to show it in a, I feel like it's proper context so people can, can see it and sit with it maybe a little bit longer than they can with a book. I mean, you can sit with a book for forever, but just, I don't know. I know when I walk into a gallery or museum, I can sit with the image and just like, and just be blown away by it. Versus sometimes a book I can get like distracted, get on my phone and whatnot. So right. I'm just thinking, thinking through that. And just because I know some people, you know, really nerd out on this stuff. Can you tell the audience a little bit about like what you shoot on, uh, what format and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I was given this Fuji film camera from a friend uh, last year and it was just like, hey, it's basically like a bigger uh, 35 millimeter, um, which I still shoot with. And this Fujifilm is six by four or five. So it's medium format. So it's a little bit bigger, but it's still like I shoot on automatic sometimes. And if I'm like, I guess like in studio, then I'll put it to its proper settings. But yeah, it definitely functions like a, a pretty big uh, point shoot. Which that's is awesome. Nice. Cause that's kind of that. I think, I mean, that's sort of your vibe is just like capturing people. I love, like, I feel like there's been times where I'm seeing someone on, you know, on your feed and I'm like, Oh, that, that person looks dope. Or like, I feel like I recognize this person, mm. you know, cause we're like out in the same neighborhood or whatever, but yeah, I can see how that would be like extremely versatile for, for what you've been doing. Hi, my name's Greg. My name's Brendan. And together we are Fab the the Duo. Duo. And you might recognize us from the jingle that you hear on this podcast. Yes, and we are popping up on here to tell you about our shows coming up. We have one at the Bitter End on Thursday the 24th at 6.30 p.m. And we have one at the Cutting Room in New York City on Sunday, June 27th at 7.30 p.m. All tickets and info can be found at fabtheduo.com slash shows. Hope to see you there. Bye. Bye. Cool. So I know we've spoken a lot in the last like nine months about, you know, putting together this show for our listeners. We have a show on June 20th in Bushwick. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. Which is kind of going to be like, I don't know, like there's stuff happening. Obviously, there's been stuff creeping in, but this feels like a culmination of a lot of emotions for me. Okay. A lot of like, okay, 
we're back. We can do this. Uh, we're okay. Okay. What are you feeling going into like, I know we talked a lot about not getting distracted about like remaining focused on a lot of these kind of goals that we've been talking about, mm. um, actualizing, mm. um, what are sort of your feelings as the world ramps back up? I mean, I'm just really excited to see people out and about again. I mean, yes. for my own selfish reasons and taking photos. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, everyone get out in those fits that yeah. you have been wanting to wear all yeah. year long. <laughs> yeah. So for my own selfish reasons, I'm very excited to see people out, out and I about so I can photograph them. I mean, outside of that, I just think I'm happy to be alive. Like I made it Amen. through like a crazy year and I just want to keep on making work and just seeing where it goes. Yeah. Like I'm not like, obviously I have ideas and like I have things that I want to hit in my head, but I'm just, I think I'm just enjoying the ride for a little bit. I feel that. I feel that. I definitely feel, and I know there's uh, something we've talked about before about investing ourselves into our own futures a lot and i definitely feel like that is being tested right now because there's so many things dragging mm. dragging me in different directions i don't know if you've been feeling that at all or if you're just like steady no i mean definitely with with things opening up you're like oh maybe i want to go do that again and i guess it's more just where you want to invest your time and money mm -hmm. i think which is always the hardest thing because you yeah you can just like hang out for so long and yeah the bars are back open again Ugh. so you can just like hang out there and drink and it's cool but yeah you can waste your whole summer exactly pretty quick cool i'm not looking to do at all no you no don't get no turned on the <laughs> no. saturday and just be like well my whole weekend's gone huh? <laughs> right one day a week for me is all i need okay okay fair enough <laughs> So looking forward, I know I kind of briefly touched on this earlier, but what are some next steps for you? What are some clear goals? You said this show in the fall slash new zine possibly. Yeah. So releasing that, just keeping in contact with like editors. I think it's more, again, like it goes back to that accountability thing, mm -hmm. like keeping in contact with editors that I've reached out to in the past that were just like, yeah, you know, follow up with me. Cause one of those things where I've definitely gotten work just out of being persistent and being annoying and just, you right. know, hitting their inbox over and over to the, just like, okay, all right, we'll let you do something. And then you're like, cool. And now I got this thing in my portfolio. Like, cause, right. cause it's all, I don't know. Sometimes it is just all made up in magic, right? People see that you worked with this place and they're like, cool, you could work with me now. Cause like someone else, you know, gave you like a, a check off basically. Um, but you've still been the same person the whole time, but it's just like this credibility that you now have. So I think it's, that just like following up saying you want these opportunities building this relationship but continuing to build it past like okay we had a great meeting and like now we're we, you know we've been in contact but it's like hey if i haven't heard from you what's up like how are you doing here's some here's some more work that i'm doing feature me you need to feature you know, me <laughs> i need to be in these people's faces because yeah. otherwise <laughs> you just drift off you into the abyss <laughs> You do need to be in these people's faces. I agree. I think your work needs to be seen. And I also feel like kind of that work behind the scenes is so thankless sometimes. Yeah. It feels like nobody sees that I'm fucking working every day, no, you know, but I think it's so important. Like you said, just like keeping up with these people being in these people's faces. I'm so, I'm so excited to see you do that. Yeah. I'm trying or to or continue to, yeah, I should yeah, say. Yeah. Well, amazing. Where, um, where can the people find you? Oh, so you can find me on Instagram under Corey, C-O-R-E-Y underscore Jermaine, J-E-R-M-A-I-N-E. All righty. I'm just going to conclude with what has been my thesis for this whole first season, which you are our 
season one finale guest. Oh, hey. shock, feels so good. <laughs> Having a good day. So my thesis for this first season has been, what does joy look like in a community setting going forward to you? Oh, that's going to be June 20th. Hey! Uh, <laughs> when everybody swings by the show, you're going to yes! see exactly what that looks you like. You will see exactly what that looks like. That's legit. <laughs> All right. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here, Corey. All right. This has been incredible. This has been great for me as well. As Corey mentioned, we have a show coming up tomorrow. So please join us June 20th for our art show group from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at 87 St. Nicholas in Brooklyn, New York, featuring work by Corey Germain, Nadia Fadiv, and Ephraim Munez, curated by myself. AP Studio Files can be found on all your streaming platforms. Please share with your friends. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at AP Studio BK. I truly could not have done this first season without the incredible help of my team. Shout out to our multi-talented technical producer, Anya Kapishki, incredible photographer, Tucker W. Mitchell, stunning theme music by Fab the Duo, and insightful research by H. Conley. Special thanks to Kayla Littman, Rachel Kreberg, Tim LaSalle, Alexandra Cole, Carrie Blue, and Dana and Charlie Pike, and anyone who listened, participated in, or encouraged me during this first season. You know who you are, and I cannot fathom this season without your support. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been an AP Studio production in association with Apartment Party.